And so church, as we, um, you know, we're going to get into the Bible study here in just a second. Would you agree with me in prayer as we pray for these things that we just talked about? Father, we come before you. We want to lift up those that are suffering this morning on the East Coast. We pray for those that, um, all, so many memories, um, their homes, uh, for some, those that they loved are, have been killed or are missing. God, we ask for your hand of comfort to be upon them and we ask for those that you have there for them, those that you have brought around them. Lord, use the people there to um, lift up, encourage, love, give a hug to, and help people rebuild. Buildings, yes, but not primarily. Lives. Hope. We pray for those that feel so alone, even at this very moment, God, that you would bring someone, even at this moment, to fill that emptiness that they feel. God, give them a word of hope right to their soul that they would know that they are loved and they are not forgotten. Father, we want to pray for our brother Jeff. Most of us have never met him personally, but he's our brother. He's your son. We pray for him and his captivity. Lord, we thank you that you've been with him every day of his captivity and you've promised to not leave him or forsake him. We pray that you would encourage him, uplift him, Holy Spirit, empower him and fill him to overflowing so that love and joy and peace would be an excess in his life, even at this moment, even beyond for himself, even for those around him, even for his captors. We pray for his wife, Els. We pray for his sons. We pray, Lord, that you would absolutely meet every one of their needs like you said you would. On this anniversary, Lord, we lift them all up. And Lord, we pray that even in this difficult situation, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you for letting me just share about those things for a few minutes. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew chapter 9, and uh, we're going to start out in the 18th verse. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, if you're sitting on the right side of your row, my left, your right, underneath the chair on the right-hand most side of your row is a Bible. So if you came without a Bible, you can grab that. Also, there's a soft cover blue folder. looks like the one on the screen here. And if you could grab that, if you're also sitting on the right side of your row, it's underneath your chair. Go ahead and fill out something, fill out something you're thankful for. Something that you'd like prayer for. You can put your name down or not. Uh, tear it off, fold it, put it in the pocket on the left side, pass it to your left. You can also go online, teleoschurch.com, go to the bottom of the page and fill out a digital form as well. You can do that anytime during the week and we get them all throughout the week. We pray for them. Men's prayer meetings, Tuesday, 6 a.m. right here. Ladies prayer meetings, Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. right here as well. So, And a couple other things in your bulletin. You can look at the, the scheduling as well. Okay, so we're going to jump into this because we're going to do something at the very end of today's service that's important. We're going to remember Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper, communion together. So before we get to that, though, I think it's important for us to talk about this king that we're going to be remembering. Now, this king, King Jesus, as we are in the Gospel of Matthew, we have been looking at Matthew describing the power of King Jesus. Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus being the king. And we have seen in the last few chapters, miracle after miracle after miracle. He has the ability and the power to heal leprosy. He has the power to heal paralysis. He has the power to deliver someone from demonic possession. <laughs> wow. He has the power to calm nature, a storm at the sea. And today, 
as if that wasn't enough, as if that list of things that were clearly demonstrated before other people wasn't enough to believe that this king has power, Jesus is going to show that he has power over death today as we look and as we read. So the title of this morning's message is The King's Power Over Death. We're going to be in Matthew 9, verse 18. Let's pray and then we'll start right there. Fathers, we come before you with the word open. We pray that we would clearly see your authority and your power. We would see that you have authority and power even over death. And I pray that we would have a look at death through your power, not through our limitations, not through our fears. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work only you can do in our lives in how we look at death. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Matthew 9, verse 18. Today's passage has nine verses in it. Okay, so it's going to be a fairly quick read and we can go through it very fast. The thing is, this story is in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. So we have about, you know, uh, what did I say, nine verses or so here today in, in Matthew. Well, Luke has 17 verses on the same passage and Mark has 23 verses on the same passage. So clearly with those extra number of verses, there must be extra details that are put in there. Yes, there are. And today we're going to look at those details as well as we look at this passage of scripture. So let's want, why don't we start out with our base text here, Matthew chapter nine, verse 18 and 19. And let's just start out what's going on here. While he was saying these things to them, while Jesus was speaking to the people there, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Okay, so what's the scene that's going on? Remember, the Bible is this story that continues on. When we look at passages of scripture, it says while he was saying these things. What things was Jesus saying? You just look a few verses earlier and you can hear, you can see that he was talking about things that, hey, if you're sick, a doctor is here, a physician is here for the sick, not for the healthy. When he was talking about people who have a hard, have a hard time admitting that they're a sinner. Well, you don't need any help then. Jesus said, you know, a doctor is there for those that are sick, not for those that are healthy. And so Jesus is he's sharing about all those things. And last week we talked about how you can't take the law and you can't like apply it on top of grace, the gospel of grace. You can't take the law and you can't say, well, this is the law. It's like an old wineskin, if you remember last week's study. And we're going to take this gospel of grace, this belief in the son of God in Jesus and we'll be saved. But let's let's put that inside of the law. No, it's like putting new wine in an old wineskin. It'll break. It'll ruin both. It doesn't work that way. And so Jesus, as he's teaching and sharing those things, this man comes up to him. His man comes up to him brokenhearted, and it says that he is a ruler. Okay, who is this guy that's interrupting Jesus? Who would have the, the audacity to interrupt Jesus as he's sharing, right? Well, his name, the other uh, accounts in Mark and Luke will tell us that his name is Jairus. Jairus is his name, and he's a leader in the synagogue. Okay, what is the synagogue? This is important. There's the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was in Jerusalem, and that's the place where Jews, they wouldn't tend to live more than a couple dozen miles away from the temple because they could be a part of the Jewish 
festivals and they could be a part of the sacrifices that were happening at the temple. It was important to be physically near the temple. So for most Jews, they lived just like I said, a few dozen miles away from the temple. Now, as time went on, as they were taken into exile, and we talked about this in Babylon and all that stuff that was happening, they'd come back, rebuilding. Jews would start to live further away from the temple. And so they would start to live in places where the temple was a, a little journey away. So what would happen is they would have these synagogues. What is a synagogue? A Jewish meeting place. Kind of like how this building is a church building, even though the churches are really the people, it's not the building. A synagogue is a place where the Jews would meet that was away from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this ruler that came up to Jesus and kind of started to speak to him when he was teaching, his name, Jairus, he was a ruler in one of the synagogues. Now, the rulers in the synagogues, okay, great, so he's the, there's one ruler in the synagogue? No, there's 10. There's actually 10 rulers or 10 elders per synagogue. And these elders had responsibilities. But what we see in these passages is this um, Jairus, he was the lead elder. He was the one that was above the others. So what would his responsibility be? He is, he would be in charge of dispensing justice and judgment when it came to issues around the community and issues amongst the Jewish people near that synagogue. So he had a position of authority. He was a respected man. He possibly was a rich man. And this man of great and high authority that everyone would have known from his area all of a sudden, this man does something profound. It says a ruler came in and knelt before him, before Jesus. I think maybe a gasp came out of the crowd for just a moment and going, that's Jairus. He's the, the leader of the synagogue. And he's kneeling before Jesus, a sign of humility, a sign of I need help and I can't do it. It was quite the scene. Interesting thing, Jairus' name means Jehovah enlightens. And I think it's great because in this passage, God is going to shed light into a dark situation in Jairus' life. And his name means Jehovah enlightens. So you can really learn a lot about a person, even yourself, when you go through suffering and loss. Sometimes there's this idea when everything's great, the, the sun is out and everything's great. It's like, well, this is what I'm going to do for God and this is what's going to happen and this is how it's all going to work out. I have no idea why people, you know, they question God or they doubt or they struggle. I can't imagine that. They must just have weak faith. I just can't imagine. And then guess what? The storm clouds roll in and death and suffering roll into your life. And then we really begin to see where our trust is. I think death and suffering, loss and suffering, pain all of these things, when they come into a person's life, not if, when they come into a person's life, you really start to see the answers to some questions. Questions like, I wonder what's important to that person. You'll find out when loss and suffering and death come in. You'll find out who is important to a person when loss and suffering and death come in. And this is a question that I was asking myself. Who do I put my hope in when those things come? Not if, when they come. Who do I put my hope in? Sometimes people have built their whole lives around their resources, their intellect, their ability to do stuff. And then, you know, death is this equalizer and it shows up. And then all of a sudden, all the great things you said about how you can handle everything, it all gets put to the test. Who do you put your hope in when the clouds roll in and things get dark? In Jairus' life, things were getting dark. 
This passage in Matthew, it's a cond- it condenses down the stories that are given in Mark and Luke. And so what we see in this very first verse here is he's saying, my daughter has just died. In the other passages, as he first came to Jesus, his daughter was dying. So as he was on his way to Jesus, his daughter was not in, in good health and failing and probably minutes, hours before she was going to pass. And so as he's arriving, it's right near the edge there. The clouds have rolled in into his life and now he's coming before Jesus. And this story here, okay, this is going to be a story about Jesus, no doubt, because Jim, you kind of spoiled it when you said the king's power over death. So the daughter's probably going to die and Jesus is probably going to resurrect this, this daughter. That is true. All those things are true. However, this story gets interrupted right now. Something's about to happen between verse 19 and verse 20 in this passage of scripture. It's like a story within a story. And so maybe the idea is, well, you know, Pastor Jim, you have no problem with slowing things down. Why didn't you just do this one story? You know, I mean, you can make a message out of two verses or four verses. Fine. So why don't you just make a whole message about uh, Jairus's daughter? And then next Sunday, go ahead and talk about this other story. Well, here's why. Because this story within the story, you see it in this account in Matthew, you see it in Mark's account, and you see it in Luke's account. This story that's starting and the situation gets interrupted by another situation, and then we finish the beginning story at the end, it's in all three of the accounts we have in the Gospels, which tells me something. It tells me that the sequencing that you see here is vital. This is actually supposed to be interrupted this way. It's supposed to be taught in this way. A story starting, a situation's happening, Jesus and his disciples are going, and Jesus is going to, hold on, something else comes up. What else comes up? Verse 20, look in your Bibles, Matthew 9. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. She kind of goes all ninja on him and sneaks up behind and touches the fringe of his garment. Verse 21, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. There's your story within the story. Those three verses kind of come right in between, right in in the middle of this story of Jairus' daughter. And you kind of look at it and go, okay, well, that's great. It's almost like an aside. It's almost like just that happened too. Great. Now let's get back to the main story. No, hold on a second. This part of the story is so important to the first part as well. You know, we're in the process of following Jesus as he's healing this painful situation. And wouldn't you know it, somebody interrupts. Jesus is on his way to do something. Other people are like, great, Jesus is doing something. We know he's doing something. We sense he's moving in, in my life. Jairus is probably, I sense he's moving in my daughter's life. This is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, no, not now, not now. Now is not the time for this. Well, let's talk about what this is and what that, the situation that interrupted was. We see this, a woman suffering for 12 years, a dozen years of constant suffering. Some of you, in the sound of my voice, understand what that means. And I think for you, this passage of scripture speaks, is, is speaking clearly to you and will continue to because God doesn't forget those who suffer continually. 
12 years of suffering for this woman. If you look on the screen, the other two passages, the other two, two other gospels give us more detail here. Here's Luke's, Dr. Luke gives us an account here. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. All of her, all of her finances were given to trying to stop this hemorrhaging in her body, this constant bleeding that was happening in her body. And she gave all of her money. So now she's poor because she has no more money. Medicine has failed her. The physicians were unable to heal her. No one could heal her. And who said this? Dr. Luke himself said this. If we look at Mark's passage on this part here, he gives us details about this woman. Mark says this, and who had suffered much under many physicians. So not only did it not work, it caused her more suffering and had spent all she had. And look at this and was no better, but rather grew worse. So after all of the finances being poured out, she suffered more and ended up worse in the situation a dozen years later than she did when she first started. I don't know if you uh, can comprehend or you understand personally what that means, where you just go, I wish I hadn't even tried to fix this because now I feel like I'm in a worse situation than when I first started. I think some of us here can understand that concept where it's like, I tried really hard and it just, nothing's working right now. In fact, it's not like it stayed the same. It got worse. And so this woman, can you imagine where she's at? She's drained, discouraged, feeling defeated, a persistent Condition that won't even give you a moment of relief. For this woman, continually bleeding for a dozen years. Now we may look at that and go, that's not just inconvenient, that's no doubt painful, but this is the aspect with Jewish culture that you and I may not fully comprehend. Because the Bible clearly said, the Levitical law clearly spoke about this, what would end up happening? When a woman was having, uh, was menstruating, there was certain things that would happen. Very specifically, she had to be set apart from people. There was things that couldn't happen for her until that was over and then she could re-enter. Why? Well, Old Testament, Leviticus 15.25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Hold on, that last sentence right there. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. How long had she been unclean? A dozen years. A dozen, what does that mean? Wait, 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 wait. unclean. What does that mean exactly? That means she can't go to the synagogue or go to the temple. She can't be involved in the feasts. She can't, listen carefully, touch another person because if she did, she would make them unclean as well. And that they would have to go through a cleansing ritual that the, Bible, that the Old Testament law stated. Do you, can you comprehend, not only was she under great pain and discouragement, she also was isolated. For 12 years, it's, it's this, we don't know the details of this woman. Her name is not given here in scripture, but if she... If she wasn't married, the odds are that she wasn't going to be married. Because for a man, Jewish man to go, wait, if I was to marry you, then I would be ceremonially unclean continually. Could you imagine how isolating that that would be? And then she would like, would I, should I lie to a person? Should I, 
if she was married, and this is something even heartbreaking, it wouldn't be surprising if her husband would have divorced her over this. I just look at this woman and my heart goes out to her because she was so alone. So alone and everything else she had tried hadn't worked. And then all of a sudden she hears about Jesus and Jesus is now moving. She no doubt you know, caught a little bit maybe of the conversation or maybe uh, Jairus as he came up to Jesus. And then all of a sudden she has this in her mind. I, I know what I heard this Jesus can do. And, I've, and Jesus has healed people. His, the name, the word of what he's done has gone throughout the, the land here. I, I just need to, I think if I just touch just the edge of his, his cloak, if I just touch just the edge, I, I, I believe that he, he, I can just be healed just by doing that. And so all of a sudden, oh, he's moving. So she, she comes up behind and touches him. Keeping in mind, she shouldn't have been in a crowd to begin with, right? So it's like, oh no, breaking all the rules and all the things and all of that. And she's now setting herself up for this, like, she's going to be in some serious trouble here. Well, before we talk about Jesus' response to her, you know, you look at the scriptures and you just go, okay, touching the fringe of his garment. Well, what does it mean by the, the fringe of his garment? Jewish custom and what the scriptures say are very clear. In fact, they're so exacting as to what they say. I want to take you again to the Old Testament because Jesus was wearing a piece of clothing that we may not be familiar with, but the Jew would understand completely. It was given to them in their law that this is what they should do. Numbers 15, verse 37 to 41. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations. That means perpetually go on with this and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Okay, so this tassel is going to have some thread white with a, a thread of blue throughout it. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Whoa, okay, all right then. Verse 40, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So these tassels were important because the tassels were a reminder and, it, you know, you, they'd feel it on the side of their legs. And whenever they put this on, the thing was called a talit. A talit was like a prayer shawl. And it's kind of like a poncho without the hood. It just kind of has a triangle cut into it, put it over you. And so you have a flap here and the other flap on the back. And the four corners of that would have these tassels that would come off. And then we have a picture of these tassels. Jews wear them to this day. You see two different kinds here. You see ones that uh, might be like the, um, the, the ones that were described in the Bible. See the blue and the white. And as they go through there, they're knotted a specific way. They have a specific number of turns in them as well. And a specific number of knots. Where the knots are, how many turns there are, are all details because it's to help the Jew remember what the law of God says and to keep God's commandments. It's like this post-it note that you just kind of have stuck or something written on your hand where it's like, remember to love God. Oh, that's right. And throughout your day, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I need to love God. They wore clothing that had these reminders on them and they were long reminders. Now, some, you know, there's blue and then there's also white. Why would there be white ones when the Bible says blue? Well, for some Orthodox Jew, some, some Jew that's like, I want to do it exactly the way the scripture says, there's no recipe given for what shade of blue it should be or how they got that shade of blue. 
And so because of that, I would rather not do it wrong. So I'll just use white. And so some will use just white and some will put blue with white. Here's the other thing with the blue. These tassels absolutely stood out. It wasn't like, you know, it was a hidden thing. It was meant to be out in the open, hanging and and dragging low, not on the ground, but but hanging low. And the reason this blue was such a contrast, you think of this like clothing. You can have clothing that's all these colors, right? Because we have these dyes, most of them now synthetics, that you can make whatever shade you want. Back then, to make colors, you had to use whatever was naturally available. And some dyes, what they were made from, were very expensive. So most clothing in their time, you watch a biblical movie, you kind of go, that's a lot of grays and off-whites and browns. That's because that was what the color of their clothing was. And they didn't have many changes of clothing, maybe two changes underneath that would be right against your skin and then one over cloak. And so it's this idea of like, oh, you look good today. New cloak, same one I've had for the last like eight years, you know, kind of a thing. People wore the same thing. They wore the same thing and it was generally this earthen color, a muted color. So then all of a sudden, what do you see? You see these tassels, white with this bright blue wrapped all around it. It was meant to stand out in an otherwise drab kind of a clothing color spectrum. This blue would just stand out. Why? God wanted his people to remember to keep the commandments. Follow me. I am the Lord your God. Remember, I took you out of Egypt. And I think about this. How many times God, God wants us to remember who we as Christians are, that we're not supposed to forget, that we're supposed to stand out in contrast to a drab and dreary world when it comes to spiritual things. We're supposed to stand out. You know, some interesting things too. I think we have a picture of some men, Jewish men as well. They're kind of looking out over the uh, uh, water there, probably in, in Israel. And if you look, the, so they're wearing slacks and they're actually wearing like a dress shirt, except for the, the man on the left there. The two right here, they're wearing that talith, that prayer shawl over a collared shirt. And so what you're seeing is just the back and then you see these long strings are hanging down almost past their knees. Those uh, And those things, those tassels, they were called tzitzit, T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T, tzitzit. Those tzitzit are the tassels or the fringes, if you will. Another thing that's interesting too the number of knots in those tassels. Man, you're talking a lot about tassels. Yeah, I am. It's kind of important. It was a reminder to them that they were the children of God. Like, don't forget who your dad is. Don't forget who you're called to be. Don't forget that you're supposed to be an example to this world. Don't become like the world. You're supposed to stand out from the world. There were 613 knots or windings and twists that were in this. Why? To signify the 613 commandments in the Torah. Details, details, details. And so Jesus, hearing Jairus' request and about his daughter, begins to move in the direction of Jairus' home. And then this woman, who's been suffering for a dozen years, comes up and goes, if I can just touch his, the tzitzi, the fringe, the tassel, if I can just touch that one part, the smallest part of his garment there, I know that I would be healed. So then something interesting happens. You know, the, the, the verse we read there in Matthew, it just basically told us, you know, she touched it. Jesus turned and said, take heart, daughter. But we have a little bit more detail. Look on your screen and here's a little bit more detail from Mark as to what happened. She touches that tassel there. Mark 5, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? It's a very interesting question. He's walking 
okay, Jairus, we're going to go go into your home. We heard your daughter is, is dying or has died. We're walking in that direction. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops, turns around and says, who touched my clothes? And then his disciples say to him, um, uh, Jesus, uh, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Like there's people all over. There's people to your left and to your right. And what do you mean who touched you? And Jesus goes on. He looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. It's an interesting moment in the scriptures there. You know, you see this, this woman, should she have been in a crowd of people? No, because anyone she touched, here's the other thing, anyone she touched would become unclean. If she was married, it wouldn't have been surprising if the man she was married to divorced her because he would have been continually unclean. If she wasn't married, she most likely wasn't going to ever be married. Again, do you see all of this hope gone? All of this, anything for the future, all of it has ended. It's a death for her. She's like, I'm like the walking dead. There's no hope for me. And so she sees Jesus and she starts to follow him in a crowd where clearly people were all around and she touches the edge of his garment there. Jesus recognizes something happens and turns. And what I love about this scripture here, and this is an interesting thing, the woman knowing what had happened to her, What happened to her? She got busted? No. What happened to her? She knew right then what happened to her. She was healed. She knew it. She knew it. All of a sudden, Jesus is looking around going, who touched my garments? And Jesus knows who did. He's just asking the question. And it says that she had this fear and trembling. Could you imagine when you have a 12-year prayer request that gets answered? Yes! Realizing what's the fear for? The idea that... He is God. Jesus is God. He just, I'm in the presence of God right now. And he just healed me of something I thought I would have for the rest of my life. And what does she do? Her posture matches the posture of Jairus. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She gives him the testimony right there. It's powerful. And then this is great because look what Jesus says to her. Could you imagine the very first word that she hears her Savior say to her? Daughter. When's the last time she was called daughter? When's the last time anybody ever wanted to really talk to her? And be anywhere near her, lest she touch them and she, they become unclean. I love this. Jesus is not afraid to be around unclean people. Jesus is not afraid to be around you and I. Oh, sorry, I got to sanitize myself. Can't be in this... Jesus came to a messy world dealing with messy people and messy problems because Jesus is not afraid of those things. And those things don't make him any less God. Your messed up situation doesn't make Jesus any less God. He is capable of dealing with it. He's just wondering if you'll come to him. For this woman, 12 years of going to doctors and medicine and other things, and it just wasn't working. And then she comes to Jesus. For Jairus, my daughter, Jesus comes to Jesus. I think if there's a common thing in two of these stories, come to Jesus. Have your come to Jesus moment. And don't just do it because it's like, oh, that's the thing people do. No, do it because that's actually the thing you want to do and it's the right thing to do. Because God will see your heart. Jesus saw the heart of this woman. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
So Jesus, did Jesus call her out? Like, who touched me? He did, but this is the best thing. Jesus doesn't call somebody out to embarrass them. It's not like he's like, (laughs) I can't wait to embarrass you. That's the goal of my life. I've created you to embarrass you. Like, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's actually an irrational fear. Oh no, if God's doing something, it's gonna, it's, he's, he's trying, I'm gonna be embarrassed. God's not trying to embarrass you. If God calls you out, he's gonna call you out for this reason here. Look, why did he call this woman out? To embarrass her? No, for the first time in so many years, to recognize that she's a person. To acknowledge that she exists. To let her know that she matters. To let her know that she's loved and that she's a daughter. When Jesus said daughter, do you realize what he was saying to her? You're my daughter. You're a daughter of God. She understood it and she was trembling because of the answer. She never expected that her prayer would be answered. And yet, look what Jesus does. You know, for this unnamed and marginalized woman, I love it, Jesus recognizes her. For all the unnamed and marginalized people in our world, Jesus knows every one of them and Jesus loves every one of them. I say this, his children should also follow after their, their leader. We should follow after what Jesus tells us to do. And so here's the cool thing now. <laughs> this woman is healed. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives her something she's not had in at least 12 years, but in their culture, not really at all. What did Jesus give her? A platform. What do you mean, Jim? Hey, daughter, tell us your story. Oh, no, don't worry. They'll all wait. You get to talk. You haven't been able to talk in so long. You get to talk. Go ahead and tell us what's been going on. And what, she, what does she do? Spontaneously breaks out in telling her testimony. She starts telling her story of who she was, what she was going through, and how God did a miraculous work in her life. Testimonies are so important. And if you're a Christian, you have a testimony. If you say to yourself, well, my testimony isn't that great. Um, does it involve you being dead, Jesus meeting you, and now you're alive forever? That's an awesome testimony. If you're saying, my testimony's not that great because I wasn't a drug dealer, and I didn't go to prison, and I didn't do that, I think you misunderstand the most important person in your testimony. It's Jesus, not you. Your testimony isn't all about you. It's all about Jesus meeting you in a place where you were dead and bringing you to life spiritually. If you haven't told your testimony, I just want you to know, if you're ever wondering, like, I wonder if God ever wants me to test, tell my testimony. Yes, that's why you have it. Your testimony is not for you to keep to yourself. You have a testimony so that it can be shared with other people. And here's the cool thing about a testimony. No one takes your testimony away from you. No one can. It's the story of Jesus and how he met you. There may be people that go, well, I disagree with your story. That's fine. Disagree all you want. It's not your story. It's my story. Disagree all you want. You can't take my story from me. You can't take the way Jesus healed me from me and you can't stop me from telling it. If you haven't ever told your testimony, I just want you to know Jesus wants you to tell your testimony. Well, I'm kind of shy and introverted and I don't really, I'm not really that outgoing person. Yeah, tell that to this woman who for 12 years was that. Jesus gave her the platform and said, daughter, you're healed. Tell your story tells a story. Now, remember I said this is a story within a story. Let's not forget that there's a man here, Jairus. What do you think is happening in Jairus's heart as all of this is going on? Okay, Jesus, my daughter, yes, we're moving. Cool. We're going. Okay, Jesus is going. If anybody can do it, Jesus can do it. I believe he can. 
Who's touched my garments? No, no, not, not now. Not now. Not now. My daughter is dying. This testimony of this woman, I don't think it was a 30 second testimony. 12 years of all of this held up inside. I've noticed this about people when they're like, well, I've never given my testimony. It's probably going to be really short. And then they start talking and then like, well, you know, when I first started and then they go, oh yeah, when was that? Was that 1970? When was that? Oh yeah. And it was like a sunny day. And all of a sudden, like the first time a person tells their testimony, I've noticed this, they can tend to go a little long. Why? Because it's like the floodgates opening. They've never realized what a story they have until they actually heard themselves say it. And then they realize there's more details as they share their story about how awesome God is. And then they can't help share that. And I believe for this woman, she's just sharing. And I think, not that Jairus had a watch, but I think he was just like, hey, maybe there's a time at church where you know, or, or some church event and, and somebody's sharing an answer to a question or they're sharing a story in their life and you're listening to it and then you catch yourself doing this. Oh boy, here we go. This is going to be a long one. Oh yeah, sure, tell us about your third cousin. Yeah, sweet. And uh-huh. Come on, get to the point. First of all, here's something interesting. You're not actually listening to their heart. You've checked out. Why? Because the world is all about you and you've been inconvenienced. Things are not going on your time frame. Somebody hasn't tidied up their testimony and fit within your acceptable time allotment. By the way, if you think what I just said was kind of harsh, it's because I was talking to myself. Because I felt that way. I know, I know you guys are so holy, you've never ever thought that way. Ever. So I was just speaking for myself there. Unless you can agree and then I'm also speaking for you. You know, we get so like, it's got to be this way and that. You know, listen, if somebody for the first time has come to know the Lord and they're just gushing about how awesome God is, let them. You shut your mouth and you let them talk about how awesome God is. Because it may be the first time they've ever done it. And we pray it won't be the last time. But here's a good way for it to be the last time. If you're like, yeah, okay, 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 yeah, 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 calm down, calm down. It's great. We get it. Jesus saved you. Calm it down. No, you shut up and let them talk. Now keep this in mind, there is a man who has a daughter who's dying or dead. The Bible is silent as to Jairus' response. I'm just looking as a dad myself and I was going, okay, this is a great story. Great story. Can we get part two in a few minutes? Because my daughter is dying. Listen, I get it. I understand that Jesus just healed you. That's wonderful, but... But my daughter is more important than you. Wait. Wait. I got a question for you. Is anything you're going through more important than what somebody else is going through? You got... Now, that's a great church answer we all gave, right? No. I just mean actually in the real world. I mean in the real world. The real world when you're like, okay, I got needs. I got something I'm working through. Okay, I'm great. You got problems. Wonderful. Great. Your prayers are answered. Great. I'm so happy. So happy for you. Actually, I'm not. I'm just saying it because it's socially acceptable. Good for you. Can we just get on to me now and what I got going? If you find yourself in that place, and I'm ashamed to say that I found myself in that place with even those words in my head, you need to pray for your heart because something's gone wrong with your heart. You actually think you're better than other people. You do. Isn't it amazing how suffering and pain bring out the reality of who we are? 
Oh, I'm really good. I'm just, uh, really good. Shiny. Yeah? Let's see. And again, for, for, for Jairus here, it's not described what his response is. And I think that leaves us to just go, how would I respond in this situation? I wonder if Jairus had this moment, like this get back in line moment. You know what I mean? You know, you're at Costco and like, they're like, you're there and like out of peripheral, you see somebody with the cart and like, oh, you kind of get, get some positioning going on here. Like I was here first, but you're not saying it. You're just being passive aggressive with your, your, your shopping cart movement and your body position. I've never done that, by the way. I'm just saying you probably heard about how that can happen. I wonder if Jairus was like, listen, I was here first. I talked to him first. He was going to take care of my issue. And now you stepped in the way you cut in line. I love it. The Bible just reveals the reality of who we are. Warren Wiersbe, when he commented on this section here, he said, we ought not to be so selfish in our praying that we can't wait on the Lord, knowing that he's never late. We ought not to be selfish in our praying that we can't wait on the Lord, knowing that he's never late. God's timing and methods are perfect. The way this is playing out right now is exactly the way it's supposed to. At no point here did God go, oh man, that woman just snuck up. I didn't even see her on my radar. Like she just snuck up. Now I've got to readjust my whole eternal plan. God never says that. God knows exactly what he's doing. Wait, that has some huge implications. That means the inconveniences that you go through and the interruptions you go through, those were known by God? Yes. They were meant to reveal things about you and I. How do you act when you're interrupted? Nah! Oh, that's real spiritual. Awesome. Good for you. Very holy. I'm doing really good with the Lord. Are you? Let's find out. Interruption. Challenge. Pain. Suffering. Okay, how are we really doing now? Can we have an honest conversation now? And the reason why we share all these things here is because you have to have this confidence. God is still working even through the interruption. What you think is an interruption, God's working with it. It doesn't work against God's will. So, this testimony was being told by this woman. It was designed to encourage the people around her. But check this out. It was designed to encourage Jairus too. What do you mean? How is it supposed to encourage him? His daughter's dying or dead. Because he's supposed to hear this woman who has been healed in her testimony and he's supposed to go, that's right, the same Jesus that healed her can heal my daughter. When you hear somebody's testimony and you hear good news that are happening in other people's lives, you should be able to rejoice with them even if you're still struggling with that. God, please, I pray for my prodigal child. They're going off in the wrong direction. They're going the way of the world. Their life is miserable and they're stuck in their sin. God, please bring them back home. And then you hear somebody go, hey, guess what? My prodigal child has just come back. It's so awesome. You have a decision point. Come here, give me a hug. I'm so happy for you. Come here, come here. Or, good for you. Huh, I wish God would care for me as much as he... There's nothing more pitiful than when we're pitiful towards ourselves and sorry. As if God doesn't care about us. And everything that I'm sharing here this morning, I'm sharing from having done it myself. So please don't think that it's like, wow, dude, he's laying it on really heavy today. No, 
I just know I found myself, this story exposes a lot of things in us and it's exposed a lot of things in me. I've definitely acted in ways that have been incorrect. You know, Jesus told this woman here, Jesus said to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. I want to make this very clear. It wasn't the suffering woman's faith that healed her. Well, Jim, Jesus just said that. No, remember, faith always has an object. What do you have your faith in? The reason this woman was healed is her faith was in Jesus. Because remember, she had her faith in doctors before and that didn't work. So it's not an issue of faith. People have, you got to remember, people in our world, everybody has faith in something. If you drove on the highway this morning with other vehicles, especially this road right here, you had faith that the oncoming car, that that person wouldn't, because they could, swerve into your lane and hit you. Somehow you got out here and you drove here if you drove and you have faith that other people will, generally speaking, obey the traffic laws. Everybody has faith. The question is, what's your faith in? This woman, Jesus is commending her because her faith is in Jesus. That's why. It's not just about having faith. That word gets thrown around in society. Just have faith. My question is this. Faith in what? More importantly, faith in who? Okay, so we've seen this story here. We've seen all that's gone on. And now, finally, we can get back to the house where the daughter is. Verse 23, you're in Matthew chapter 9. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. People laughed at Jesus. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went throughout all that district. Okay, Mark gives us a little bit more insight on the story of what was happening here. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So here's the scene. He's getting closer to home. And what they would do there, there's no refrigeration. um, So bodies decomposed really fast. So when somebody died, mourners were always ready. Because when people died, there were people that were professional mourners. They would come and they would wail because that's how they would mourn. And so you would hire people to wail and cry. And you would hire these musicians or flute players to come. And all of a sudden, Jairus is walking closer to his house and he starts to hear the music. And he starts to hear the cries. It's over. Well, you may say, Jim, when we started the story, he said to Jesus that my daughter is dead. Well, when we read these other, other topics, I think his daughter was dying as he left to go find Jesus. And I think in his mind, he's going, she may already be dead. But there's something to think somebody's going to die. And there's something to actually, if you will, hear the music. And Jairus is approaching his home with Jesus and he's hearing the music and people are fi- coming up to him going, she's gone, she's gone. Don't, don't trouble Jesus. It's, it, he, he doesn't need to be here. She's already gone. Okay, why don't you come and just be with your daughter and her body here before she's, we got to bury her. It all had to happen very quickly. I remember a story and I didn't expect this, this passage of scripture to bring it up at all. It was a, maybe 13 years ago. It was right around this time in October, October 31st. In fact, I was at church, second service, and I was kind of the pastor in charge of leading the service and second service. And so there I was, and I get a phone call. I look, it's my wife. And not a big deal. Second service is starting. They're probably running a little bit late. She calls and she says, uh, we just had a car accident. And uh, I'm fine. And the baby's fine because she was carrying our son, Xander. 
She was pregnant. Our one-year-old daughter, Jaya, was in the back seat. My mom, visiting from New York, was sitting in the front seat. And so, like, all the women in my life at that point and my unborn son were in the car. And so I get this call, and we were in an accident. Your mom yeah, you know, had a hard time breathing, and so they had to take her. She's in the ambulance. They're probably going to take her. I'm fine. I, I'm feeling okay. I think I'm okay. The baby's okay, and, and, and Jay is okay. All of a sudden, like, again, you don't plan for it. I didn't, like, wake up that morning on Sunday morning and go, okay, great, I'm going to get ready for potentially losing my wife or daughter or unborn child or my mom. Like, I didn't wake up that way. And then there I am driving the 8 to 10 miles to get to where the accident happened. And like um, Central Avenue in McKinleyville, this road in Chino Valley is a straight road. You can see down it for miles. And so as I first came into the town, I could see the flashing lights, kind of like the music, right? I could, I could see the lights off in the distance. I was like, and as I'm driving, all these fears start to come up. Like, I'm not ready to lose my wife. I'm not ready. Like, wait, my, my mom was just visiting. She just was visiting the grandkids. Like, the, this, wait, how, I wonder how our unborn child is doing right now. And what about Jaya? Like, and you know it, like all those fears start building. At that point, it's one of those things where the voice of the Lord, it's like, pray, pray. You're just like, okay, I can't, I got to pray. And I'm driving, and as I'm driving, getting closer down that, the, the, the long straightaway and the red lights, which I didn't run, but I was just like, I see an ambulance go by, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Okay, I'm just going to go here, and then I get there, and they're fine, and and uh, went later to the hospital. And it was just one of those moments where, I, when I think about what did Jairus experience as he's getting towards home, it's one of those things where it's all those fears start to come up. And Jesus does something with him that is so amazing. And I think a little bit of what that was happened with me in the car as I was driving to that accident was these words right here. You'll see them on the screen in Mark 5, verse 35 and 36. But overhearing, but overhearing what they said, about, hey, just leave Jesus, don't bother him. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. He looked at him personally and said, Jairus, I'm here with you, don't be afraid. I'm with you, believe. Believe what? Just believe? No, believe in me. Okay, so we continue and see this story here. Mark 5, 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw the commotion, the people weeping and wailing loudly. There's the mourning happening. And when he had entered, Jesus, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And a more accurate translation would be like they mocked him. They were mocking Jesus. But, and I love what Jesus does next. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child is. Sometimes when you're in a place of utter pain and sorrow and distress, they're, as surprising and shocking as it may be, you may have mockers that end up being around you. Oh, where's your God now? Oh, where's your God now? Failed you, huh? He's not near you at all. He doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, your child wouldn't have died. I love what Jesus does. Jesus tells the mockers to stay outside. And you know what? Sometimes that's what you and I have to do. Sometimes we find ourselves in painful situations and wouldn't you know it, mockers show up. You know what you need to do? You need to introduce them to the outside. You go outside and stay there because you're not helping the situation and you aren't at all a part of the solution. So go outside. Jesus puts the mockers outside. Jesus comes inside, mom and dad, and some of his disciples are there. And look at this, verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talith kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. 
for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Think about this. 12 years earlier, this girl was born. 12 years earlier, the woman started to have an issue with the bleeding. With one person, joy entered their life with a child, a baby girl. With another woman, sorrow and pain entered her life with this condition. Twelve years later, Jesus heals a woman and resurrects a child. These two stories have to go together because they are intertwined and they can't be separated. They're supposed to be told together. Church, this is what I want you and I to remember is that these frustrations, the frustrations you and I go through in life, the pain that we go through in life, they're meant to grow our faith, not to destroy your faith. God already knows that they're going to happen. So when they're shocking to you and I, we must remember, God, wait, you knew, okay, you've got this under control. I'm going to trust you. Your interruptions, the things that come into your life that are interruptions, God's using them to instruct you. They're not accidents. They were actually planned. Where you kind of like, this is my plan. This is my life's goal. This is what I'm doing. This is the way I'm going. And God's like, interruption. You have a choice. You can get frustrated at God or you're going to go, God, why is this happening? Because I think there's something you're trying to teach me or show me. And know this, when all hope is lost, when the king shows up, when Jesus shows up, he reigns supreme in authority over whatever that situation is. Now, we need to know this. This is the truth here. Of D.L. Moody, he's a Christian preacher, and he was asked to speak at a funeral, his very first funeral. He starts to go, okay, well, I want to do a good job at a funeral. And I remember my very first funeral. I want to do a good job too, right? So D.L. Moody, what does he do? I'm going to go look at Jesus at funerals. And I'm going to look at what he says to people. And I'm going to just do what Jesus does because I want to follow the best example I can. Well, D.L. Moody, as he was looking through the scriptures, he's like, okay, this doesn't work. Because every time Jesus shows up at a funeral, people are resurrected. So it's like, all right, I guess I can't use that example for the funeral. But I just need you to know this. When Jesus shows up in your situation, there's a resurrection that happens. Wait, wait, does this mean that I'll be healed? Well, keep this in mind. Even this young girl or Lazarus, if we want to look at Lazarus as well, they both eventually died. So when Jesus does a healing, any healing in this world at best is a temporary healing because you're still going to die. The healing that Jesus gives that the world can never give is the eternal one. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. In 26, Jesus was speaking to Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, because you're going to die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I love this. Jesus leaves it with a question. Do you believe this? This is a question that's left for all of us this day. Do you believe Jesus has the power over death? Do you believe that Jesus has the power over your death? That in your last breath, When you close your eyes, you will open it and be in his presence. And that from heaven's perspective, when you look back, you will realize that everything God did in your life was right. Everything, including, listen, the current struggle you're going through right now. From heaven's perspective, we're not going to be in heaven looking back, Christian, and go, yeah, God, that was a mistake. Yeah, that was wrong. Yeah, you were late there. Yeah, you you messed that up. You know what we're going to do? Wow, I never saw the big picture. You were right. Oh, I couldn't have designed that better. Oh, that was incredible. That's amazing. Oh, you were thinking about me when you did that. Oh, you... Do you realize that he's doing that every time, including right now in your life?
Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Our worship team is going to come up. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross as we close. We're going to remember what the King did for us. And we take communion not because communion does anything magical to us. It's a reminder. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We get amnesia about how amazing Jesus is. And so we take communion to remember Jesus. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment. As we're here this morning, and if you're struggling with some ongoing situation, as we're talking about the woman, the unnamed woman with the 12 years of bleeding, you feel that's your life, bleeding, worse now than you were when you started, situation worsening, continually again and again. It doesn't let up. And you need the help of Jesus in your life. You're willing to kneel before Him, humble yourself, come before Him and and acknowledge Him as the King over all. The King over your situation, over your pain, over your sorrow. I want to pray for you. Don't want to embarrass you. It won't do that. But if you just raise your hand just so I could pray for you. Is there anyone here in that? Lots of hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, for the dear people who have raised their hands, you know the specific pain they're going through. At best, we could be sympathetic towards them, but God, you're empathetic. You actually understand exactly the pain that they're going through. In fact, you're the only person that exactly understands the pain they're going through. We lift them up now as a church body and a church family. We want to lift up all of those who find themselves in that position and we pray that this story, this true story of the king who came to this messy world to help people with their messy issue, the biggest one being sin. We pray that this story would encourage all of those that are suffering and struggling here in our midst and that are listening over the radio or the internet. God, we pray that you would give them this hope. We pray that when they hear good news of other people and the way that you're working in other people's lives, we pray that you would give them a heart that can rejoice that they wouldn't find themselves angry at people who have answered prayer, that they wouldn't find themselves bitter at you, God, because you're answering people's prayers, but rather they would be encouraged because the God that can answer that prayer is a God that's working actively in their life. We thank you that your timing is perfect and that interruptions are divine, ordained by you. Lord, have your hand upon these dear people. Let them sense your presence. And Lord, we know one way or another, you are definitely going to answer their prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.